Well, thanks for joining us this morning. Um, you know, I have been, my wife and I have been living here in Tucson for about six years now as of this month. One of the things that I have noticed is that it seems like as soon as school is out, this town becomes a ghost town. I mean, people just clear out of here and they find somewhere cooler to go. I don't know what you guys are doing here this morning. I'm, I'm surprised, frankly, that you're here. I'm surprised that I'm here this morning. But one of the other things that I've noticed is that this town, correct me if I'm wrong, we seem to be in perpetual building mode. Am I right? It seems like this town never stops building. I mean, I, I, I can't, I don't know how long it took them to finish building Oracle Road or rebuilding Oracle Road. It seemed to take an eternity for me. And now they're working on Lambert Road and they're working on um, Tangerine. And those are the two roads that I use coming to and from work here at the church. And so God's doing wonders for my prayer life right now, I just have to say, as I keep driving down these roads and I keep always getting behind that one person that wants to follow the speed limit, even though the speed limit's like 10 miles an hour right now on every one of these roads because they're building on them. You can see what God's doing in my life right now. He's building patience in me. I just know he is. Um... And then there are these schools that are getting built all over town. Just north of me, a STEM school has just been completed that's going to go online in the fall. And there's another one just to the south of me built, being built on La Cañada, a, a charter school there. And compared to rural Georgia where I came from, it, I tell you, it, it just seems like we're constantly building something here. Now, you and I, we're not building roads or schools, but we too are constantly building something. Building things that are the most important to us. Some of us are building homes or building on hobbies. Many of us are building careers, nest eggs for the future. We're building relationships, families perhaps. And at Grace, we're building a faith community. A faith community that centers around real relationships and helping people take one step closer to Jesus. Each and every day. Whatever we spend time on, whatever we invest in is what we are building into. And sometimes I wonder if I'm really putting the time into building the right things. I don't know if you would think about that in your own life. Have you ever wondered that? I mean, are we always focusing our time, our energies, our resources in ways that align best with God's plan for our lives? You know, lately I've been spending some time personally reading an Old Testament book that perhaps hasn't come onto your radar screen any time recently. It's called the book of Haggai. Have any of you read it, by the way, recently, maybe done a study on it? Well, great. This is going to be, I think, hopefully this is going to be really impacting for many of you. The book of Haggai was written like 2,500 years ago, and it has some some incredible parallels to what faith communities like ours are going through today. I'm going to give you a moment, if you can, to find it. It's actually in the, near the end of the Old Testament in your Bibles. If you find the book of Matthew and go backwards just a few pages, you should be able to find it. You can go to uh, gracetucson.org slash Bible on your smartphones or tablets, and you can find it there also. Feel free to, to start looking for it if you can. We're going to actually spend the next few weeks walking through this book. And as I said, you're going to be amazed at some of the insights that God gives us as we walk through this book. Now, as we start it, this book is going to immediately immerse you into its story. So I'm going to set this up for you if I can, all right? Picture this. 538 B.C., 
in an area which is now considered Iraq. Back then it was an area known as Babylon. Back in that day, a Persian king had come through and taken over the Babylonian Empire. He had destroyed Babylon and all of its grandeur. Uh, just as the Babylonians had destroyed God's people, the, the Israelites, as they, as they destroyed Israel and Judah and carted people from there off into slavery in Babylon. And so now there's this new sheriff in town, this Persian king. And he says to these Jewish people who have been slaves for 50 years or more, he says, you know what, I'm still in charge. I'm still in charge over your homeland way back there 500 miles from here. But here's the deal. I don't need you here. I don't need you guys here anymore. The Babylonians wanted to make you a slave. I'm not really interested in doing that. You can go home if you want. You can rebuild. You can start over. Feel free. And no sooner did he say that than 50,000 Jews start packing their bags hurriedly and figuring out how to get out of Dodge. And they do. 50,000 Jews move 500 miles across the desert as quickly as they can Back to the ruins, the rubble of what was their homeland. That place that had been destroyed. They get back to Jerusalem. One of the first things they decide to do is, we want to rebuild God's house. We want to rebuild God's temple because it was just a pile of rocks. I mean, it was just completely leveled. It was destroyed 50 years earlier by this Babylonian king. It's nothing but a pile of rubble. And so they clear out this debris and they start rebuilding the, the foundation. They get the foundation slab completely done. And as soon as they get the slab done, they throw a party. They get all excited. They had this festival and they throw this party. Like, well, we got the floor done. We got the foundation done. Now, as they get, and the book of Ezra explains this story about how they throw this party, how excited they get when the foundation's built. But then these neighbors around them start realizing as this party is getting thrown, hey, these Jews are back in town. And they're kind of camping out in this, and they're building, they're building their, their temple again, that, built, that temple that was destroyed. And they get all riled up, the Samaritans and Phoenicians and so, so many others in that area, and they try to do everything they can to stop the Jews from building anymore. They resort to bribes, intimidation, fear, discouragement, whatever they can come up with to try to put a stop to what the Jews are doing. And no sooner... Had the Jews started this work of rebuilding God's house, then they stopped completely. You see, they decided, wow, this is getting kind of hard here. <laughs> this is getting kind of challenging. Maybe we should focus a little bit on ourselves. Maybe we should focus on getting our homes built. Maybe we should focus on rebuilding our businesses. I mean, everything's gone here in town. Why don't we just kind of put this temple this church building aside for a little while let's kind of put it on, on, on the table we'll get back to it. it let's wait for things to die down a little bit and then we'll get started rebuilding the temple so they do they they decide to start rebuilding their homes they rebuild their businesses and they're thinking it'll, it'll only take a few months they'll they'll kind of calm down and and we'll get back to work on god's house but months turn into years and 17 years later, all they have to show for the temple is a nice pretty slab sitting in the middle of town. Their homes had been rebuilt. Their businesses had been rebuilt. Jerusalem was bustling again. But God's house was a nice pretty foundation slab. They had forgotten about God's kingdom work. They were so focused on their own 
kingdom work that they had forgotten about God's. God helps them to see in Haggai chapter 1 that the worst thing that you can do with your life is to be totally absorbed by it. The worst thing, the worst thing that you and I can do with our lives is to be so totally absorbed, so totally focused on them that we miss out on God's kingdom work. God calls us, God's people, to not be consumed only with our own lives and our own agendas, our own stuff, but to be consumed by God's kingdom. So God uses this preacher, this prophet by the name of Haggai, this guy who had come back from slavery to himself with them in the 50,000, this older man now who had seen the temple when it was once in its, all, all of its grandeur, he uses, God uses him to start preaching some sermons to God's people. In fact, the book of Haggai, it's four sermons, basically, that Haggai preached to the leadership and the people of that day, his people. So each week, here's what we're going to do. During the month of June, we're going to take one of Haggai's talks, one of his sermons that God burdened his heart with, and we're going to talk about how it relates to not only our community, our church family, but even more so how it relates to your life in mind. Because like I said, each one of us, we're building something. You and I, whether we're intentionally focused on it or not, we have our priorities and we are focused on building something all the time. And the question is, are our priorities always just our own priorities? Or perhaps also are they at times God's kingdom priorities and what God wants for you and I? Those dreams that you have, that you are just feel so burdened to, to figure out how to live into in your life, the, the family you want to build, the, the career you want, whatever it might be. How do those align with God's kingdom priorities in your life, those dreams that he has for you? So we're going to start this morning in Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 1. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, or Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai, Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Isn't that interesting? See, this is the first sermon that this older gentleman by the name of Haggai gives to the people. And he's primarily giving this message to the nation's leaders. He's speaking directly to Zerubbabel, who was this guy who the Persian king had appointed to be governor over this land as the 50,000 went back. And this guy named Jeshua, or Joshua in Hebrew, who was the high priest or the, the spiritual leader at that time. He, he was kind of like the Pope for Catholics, in other words. And, he, and what 
what um, Haggai is saying to the people, is he's kind of pointing out some of the very things they've been saying to themselves. He says, they've been procrastinating, saying, well, it's still not time to rebuild God's house. That's code for, we've got better things to do, God. And the temple, it's still this beautiful foundation slab in town. Now, the, the, the word luxurious there in, in, in the translation that I, I was looking at, for some of your translations, it may have said paneled houses. Let me explain what this is. The typical home back then was built out of mud and stone, as you might expect in, in, Jerusalem, in the area around Jerusalem. There was no wood, really, to, re, to use for building material. That was, the wood was at a premium back then. So they were be building their homes out of stone and mud. But by this time, 17 years after they had first arrived, they had already built out their homes and they were trying to figure out how to upgrade their homes. They were trying to figure out how to make them even better. Don't we all do that, right? And so they're like, well, why don't we figure out some way to get some wood? And so they start traveling, many of them, 100, 150 miles to the north into the forests of Lebanon and bringing back lumber to, to trick out, to panel, to put accents into their homes. And God's saying, great, but did you forget about my house? <laughs> what about my house? Now, in these verses, in these verses that were, were just read to you, did you see anywhere where God is condemning wealth? Was he saying that we shouldn't have nice things? No. Riches and wealth, they're never condemned in the Bible. They, they just sometimes can consume us or blind us. In fact, 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6 speaks to our love and our focus on prioritizing those things too much. So God's pointing out here their misplaced priorities. That they're too overly focused on things and the, the things that don't really matter all that much. And I think you, that's a lesson for you and I today, too. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, he said, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them. And where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures, remember, in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy. And thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, Jesus said, that's where the desires of your heart will be. There's nothing wrong with pursuing the American dream. There's nothing wrong with pursuing a better life. But we can spend so much time chasing the American dream that we forget the dreams plans of God we can spend so much time building our own little kingdoms that we forget God's kingdom that's what God is saying here God says our kingdoms ultimately moths and rust destroy them thieves break in and steal them in other words God says to you and I our kingdoms no matter how much time we spend on them here on this earth they're temporary at best right but God's dreams God's kingdom priorities those are eternal. Those last forever. And God challenges his people just as he challenges you and I. It's not that we shouldn't focus on our own priorities, our own dreams. Absolutely. But in the context of that, are we focusing on God's eternal kingdom priorities? The things that he wants to accomplish in and through you and me. 
Let me ask you this morning. What are you prioritizing these days? What are those things that consume you? That consume your time? That consume your energies? What would your calendar app, your checkbook, your credit card statement say about your priorities today? Those things that matter the most to you. Do kingdom priorities factor into that, into there in different places? And if so, how? How, how has God burdened your heart on the things that break his? God points out our misplaced priorities and he calls for a change of heart and a change of focus in verse 7. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealiel, and Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm on the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21 of the year, second year of King Darius's reign. Isn't that interesting? So in this message, God is speaking through Haggai and saying, listen, I've given you guys 17 years. <laughs> and I appreciate the fact that you're rebuilding Jerusalem. I appreciate that you're putting focus on your families, on your businesses. That's great. But it's been 17 years. And there's still no, one, no place for you or anyone else coming into town to worship me. There's no place for, for people to come to pour out their hearts and to seek my face and to, see, to sense my presence and so we actually heard here in the words she just read that God comes to a point saying, listen, I, I, I've stopped blessing you. I've stopped pouring out my blessing on you because I think your focus is way too much on yourselves and not on me. God calls them in this moment to put their focus in the right place, to put their time and their resources not just into their own lives, but into God's kingdom work. Why? She read it in verse 8. So that I will be glorified and take pleasure in seeing people worship me and putting me first. And to their credit, 
these people stop and they respond to God. Their hearts are burdened and each one of them become committed in that moment to figuring out how to play their part. How to use their gifts, their talents to help advance the kingdom work that they know God's put on their hearts to do. You know, it's easy for you and I to get a little too focused at times on our own lives and miss the kingdom priorities that God has for each one of us if if we're not careful. I mean, a great example of that for me was back when I was living in Georgia in the 90s. I was in my 20s, and I was a newspaper editor. I was, lit, I was a part of a small little rural country church in Georgia. Here's a picture of it. Um, about a mile from my parents' house, um, this church packed out at 75 people on a Sunday morning. And it really wasn't growing, but that was primarily because no, the community wasn't growing. The community hadn't grown in probably 150 years at least. Um, the whole town is, has a population of 104 as the last I saw. And so in this little country church, God started putting a burden on its pastor. And this pastor felt like God was saying to him, I want you to leave this little church and I want you to move on the other side of the country to Mesa, Arizona, and I want you to plant a church there. Crazy, right? I want you to uproot your family uproot this this church, what I've been doing here, your ministry, and go to Arizona. At the same time, God started putting this crazy idea on my heart. And I'm thinking, God, I, mean, I had my journalist hat on. I'm like, really, God? That doesn't seem very logical. That doesn't make any sense to me. God started putting a burden on this entire church family's heart that God wanted to use them to a, a greater kingdom priority than they could have possibly imagined. That they wouldn't just reach the town of Girard, Georgia, but that they would reach a community 2,000 miles away to see people come to Jesus. And to their credit, they came together and committed to that kingdom work. They committed to sending out their pastor and his family. They committed to sending me out as I was scared to death, thinking, God, what are you doing to me? Um, Moving halfway across the country to join them in playing this church. And you know what? 22 years later, that church is still winning people to Jesus in Mesa. And that church is in Georgia, that little rural country church, is still doing God's kingdom work. What it took, because I tell you, that calling on my life, that calling on that pastor's life, on this church, it was a stretch. It was a stretch for all of us. It was been so easy to say, this is way too big for us, God. But we just knew. I mean, right? I mean, have you ever been there where you just kind of, you just, you just know. It, it, maybe it seems logical, maybe not. But you just know God's put this thing on your heart and you can't let it go. And in that moment you realize God's kingdom priorities have to become part of my own. Prioritizing God's plan, it isn't always easy. It often involves sacrifice on our parts, a sacrifice of our time, a sacrifice of our financial resources. But what I think God's saying to you and me today is that we must stay sensitive to the Spirit's leading in our lives. You know, in the churches that I've served over the years, it's fairly easy 
as a pastor to get people to come around me and to serve, to help out with big events. If we're, if we're doing something, at, whether it's been at this church or other churches I've served in, it's easy to get people to come around it and realize, hey, we can make a kingdom difference if we come together and do this. But what I found is a little different are those, what's more challenging are those times when God's kingdom work doesn't get done in one day, right? Those times when it takes the faithfulness, the tenacity of People like you and me to stick with it, to, to stick with a ministry, to stick with a calling for months and years, and to be faithful in that, to be faithful and consistent to be used by God. When I think about that here at Grace, I think about our life group leaders. Many of you who are even in this room, who you commit a part of your week, every single week, to being before God and saying, God, what do you want to do in our little community of six or eight or ten or twelve people? This week, I think about our youth ministry leaders who give their Sunday nights week after week after week. It's like anything else that could happen on a Sunday night, it has to be on hold because the students at Grace come first. Because in their lives, as, as leaders here at Grace, they believe God's called them to that kingdom work and they're faithful. I think of the people who are faithful to, to stand behind a counter at guest services center in the breezeway on the weekends to make sure that their gifts of hospitality are used to touch someone that day. I think about those people who use their gifts of administration and they show up here on the church campus during the week on a Tuesday or a Thursday and they show up to our office manager and say, hey, we're here. How can you use us today? How can I be of help? I think of the hundred volunteers who are going to come and be a part, no doubt, of helping us lead a VBS program, a vacation Bible school, to children all through our community and how it brings us all together. But at the same time, I also think how oftentimes our children's ministry is looking for people on the random Sunday during the year or the random Friday night as kids come here and they're needing an extra hand. It's so easy to see those big events and for us to come around them. It's the faithfulness. It's what Haggai was saying to his people that day. We must be faithful in God's kingdom work. One of the things that really encouraged me just a few days ago was, you know, here at Grace, as as lead pastor, I often see that there are needs that go unmet. There are especially leadership needs that go unmet. Sometimes those leadership needs are significant. Sometimes they're small ministries that we just kind of have to put on a shelf for a while, not because we don't think those ministries are valuable, but because there's no one to step up. There's no one to say, you know what, that, that job, yeah, leading that ministry would only take an hour or two a month, but I can make the space for that in my life. There were a couple of those that were, there are a few of those on my mind now, but there were a couple of them that were on my mind just recently. And there was a young single mom uh, named Kimberly who stepped up and, and heard about them. And heard that we needed someone to help coordinate meals for people who were sick or in the hospital or who had lost a loved one. We didn't have a leader for that ministry because the leader who had faithfully served in that for a number of years wanted to focus in some energies elsewhere. And she said, you know, I can do that. That's an hour, two months, no big deal. And then she found out we needed a special events coordinator because we have people coming onto our campus at different times during the year and we need to serve cake or serve lunch or something. She said, I got that one too. <laughs> no problem. I just loved her heart. It inspired me. It made me think of Ephesians 6, verses 7 and 8. that says, serve wholeheartedly 
as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. I also think of Hebrews 6.10, which says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. Each one of you who are here today, who happen to be followers of Jesus, maybe some of you, you're still trying to kick the tires of faith. You're still trying to figure that out, and that's great. I'm so glad you're here this morning. I know, though, for many of you, you're here this morning because you decided... I want to prioritize God in my week. I want to give God my best as I start my week. And I also, as I look around this room, I see many of you who don't just do that on Sunday morning, but you find that space, whether it's here at Grace or in some ministry in the community, some nonprofit, you're figuring out how God can use your gifts, your talents, your time to make a kingdom difference, to invest in eternity. And I just want to say to you, if no other person says it to you, thank you. Thank you. What you're doing, it matters. It matters. You may not get a whole lot of accolades on this side of heaven. (laughs) I bet you will one day. Because the works you're doing, they're eternal. They're not temporary. C.S. Lewis once said about our priorities and how sometimes we miss out on them because we get focused in the wrong place. He basically said once while he was alive, it's like, it's like sometimes we're focusing on making mud pies in a slum because we can't imagine how good a vacation at the beach would be. In other words, we get so focused on our own little priorities, our own little kingdoms, that we miss out on God's kingdom priorities and how fulfilling they can be for each of our lives. Now, For a while now, I've been teasing many of you. I've been sharing with you that I was going to have a big announcement today, right? And some of you, you've been panicked. You've been thinking, oh, Lord, what is he going to say, right? Could I have Mark and Larry join me up here for just a moment? Since the beginning of the year at Grace Community, there have been two teams of people who have been spending long hours wrestling with a question here at Grace And that is, as we grow, as God's kingdom priorities continue to take front and center in our lives here in this community, in the greater community of Oral Valley in northwest Tucson, and as God keeps sending people our way and opening opportunities and doors for ministry, we have a space problem. I've noticed it for a couple of years now. We've been wrestling with what do we do, how do we figure this out. And so the beginning of the year, uh, the leadership of our church asked two groups of people, to put their heads together, to use their gifts and talents, and to figure out how do we fix this? How do we solve this problem? And that they created a design team that would focus on if we were to build, what would we need to build? What would be necessary and why? And a financial team to figure out whatever this other team talks about, could we even afford it? Is it even a possibility? Based on our attendance, based on our giving, based on what God's doing in this community, what's doable? This morning, I asked these two gentlemen to join me because these are two people who have been serving on these two teams, Mark on the design team and Larry on the finance team. Mark, could you share with us, just in a brief nutshell, what did this team find after their months of work and what recommendations did they come to bring? So um, over longer than six months, actually, into last year, we've been looking at this expansion idea here at Grace 
and have gone through a lot of iterations and a lot of talking, a lot of interviews and things like that. And number one, we've definitely identified that we have a space issue that needs to be solved. The option that we came up with, and I won't give you all the details because they're in the packet, was essentially 3,200 square feet of classroom expansion, staff expansion, and a number of other little areas. And all that has been based on a series of interviews with every stakeholder who uses this church, and you could almost possibly use this church. And we've gotten space planners involved, and we have literally talked with everybody and put together a process that adequately um, addresses everything and, of course, tons of prayer and thoughtful consideration. That's great. Now, I won't go into a lot of the details of that. Our time here this morning is primarily focused on worshiping God, and I want to keep that focus there. But what I want to do is, as you leave today, I want to make sure each one of you get a packet in your hands. They'll be in the breezeway that kind of lays out in several pages some of the details of what Mark is sharing with you this morning. Now, Larry, um, if I could ask you, as these guys were working on these big plans, what did you guys find? Thanks. That's a very good question. We had four of us, Paul Shedlock, Keith Ritzman, our church treasurer, Marilyn Berenger, and I, who spent the last three months in prayer and working together to try and come up with uh, a measure of how strong we are at Grace and what the outlook would be for a fund campaign if the building is decided upon. And what we did was we researched with National Covenant Properties, who is our national leadership team, and got business models of churches that they have developed um, over over 100 different churches, 200 churches in their past to measure Grace's financial situation with models of these churches around the country. And we even invited the, the representative from them to come down, and he visited us and sat with our team and talked and basically said he is very comfortable with this idea of us putting together a fund drive for up to $600,000, dollars and in fact, with our budget and our giving history and our church debt now per attender and our attendance growth, that with those, those models that we should be able to support a program of over $900,000. So that gave us a good level of comfort in that, in that end. And uh, so we put together with Paul Shedlock's tremendous design capabilities a brochure that you'll be getting on the way out. And it will have in it a ballot to vote yes or no. We're not asking for any money at this time. This is a vote for should we or shouldn't we do this. Well, I just want to thank both of you and your teams for the incredible work you've done over these last few months. Would you give them a hand? Thank you. (laughs) 2,500 years ago, God spoke through an old preacher by the name of Haggai. And he told his people to not miss out on making a kingdom difference for God. Let's not miss out, you and I, on making a kingdom difference for him. In, in your life and in my life, as we leave this place, as we go about our weeks, may we continue to be focused on our priorities, yes, but also with an ear toward God's. And as a community, may we spend this month making sure that we are hearing very carefully God's kingdom priorities before we make any important decisions so that we know and we have a sense of confidence of knowing this is what God is saying to each one of us. The worst thing that you and I can do with our lives is to be totally absorbed by them. 
God calls us to be consumed not just with our own lives, with our own kingdoms, but God's kingdom. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just want to thank you this morning for this time for us to kick off this new series on Haggai, for us to kind of dig into this idea of what we're building in our lives and whether the things we're building, what, if they, how much they matter eternally. Lord, June is a season when we're going into vacations and we're f- focusing and looking forward to a time of rest. Lord, I pray for each one of us as we find those times of rest and vacation that you will give us space to be alone with you and to, to listen carefully to your still small voice in our hearts. Help us to see, Lord, those places where we can prioritize your kingdom, those places where we have been prioritizing your kingdom, and those places where you would have us focus in the future. Lord, this morning as we gather as a community, we look back to one of the prayers that you taught us to pray. And I want to ask each one of you this morning to pray this prayer aloud with me as I pray, because it focuses on what we're talking about today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning, we continue to place our focus on what God is doing in each of our hearts as we come to God's table. You know, periodically, um, we'd like to spend some time to just reflect on what God is saying to each one of us at God's table as we remember how God broke his body and shed his blood for each one of us. So this morning, I'm going to, as the ushers are coming forward, we're going to pass out some bread. And I just want to encourage you to take it and hold it, and we'll partake of it together in just a moment. And we'll do the same with the juice. But in these moments, we remind ourselves that this is a representation of Christ's body and blood, broken for us, poured out for us in our sinful state, so that we have a home, a future, a hope beyond this one, a kingdom beyond this one. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this bread which represents your body. Lord, we thank you that on the cross of Calvary, you spared nothing for us, but you gave us everything. God, in these moments, as, we are, as the communion elements are being passed around, would you help us to just think through our kingdom priorities? Those places, Lord, where you would encourage us in how we have been fun- living into them, And those areas that we perhaps might be too focused on ourselves and need to be refocused upon you. God, in these moments of silence, would you speak clearly? In Jesus' name.